So I'm, I'm going to adjust this. Like, I don't even remember who taught me that. The thing about licking the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like spitting on it and throwing it in there. Mm-hmm. I was like, that seems pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And when you but think about works. how many of us did it, like, it, it seems pretty unsanitary, too. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Particularly with like Spitty doing it. I'm like, where have your fingers been, bro? Yeah. Actually, don't answer that. I know your fingers have been. This is game State, man. They shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. On this episode of Longest War, Army veteran Lee Bruner. On Longest War, the podcast of VBC's post-9-11 veteran storytelling project, we feature the stories and experiences of Pittsburgh's post-9-11 veterans. I'm Nick Grimes, Army veteran of Afghanistan and host of the podcast. So today on the show, we've got Lee Bruner, a retired U.S. Army sergeant. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Lee. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So we served together for, I guess that's what, four years? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, three or four. Did a deployment together in Afghanistan. You were the old man. Yeah. You were five years older than the rest mm-hmm. of us. Yes, I was. Um, and you actually joined pre-9-11, right? Yes, I joined the Army September of 2000. Kind of walk me through that. Like what, whose harebrained idea was it for you to join the Army? I am fourth generation military. My great grandfather served in World War II. My grandfather served in the Air Force during Vietnam, although he didn't actually go to Vietnam. Some Kung Fu he worked to go to Alaska. My uncle served in the Air Force just before the Gulf War, and he was actually uh, chaptered for medical problems uh, right when the Gulf War was kicking off. So I'd already always been interested in it. My stepfather loved war histories. Like there are books that I read when I was a teenager, like Chicken Hawk and. Uh, things of that nature. So I'd always had an interest in it. But then being in Detroit at the time, a city in decay, no real jobs, no opportunities. At some point, you got to make a move and seemed like a pretty good move to make. How common was it for guys to join the army from Detroit in 2000? Not very common. I look at a lot of people I came up with and they're like, oh, I would have joined, but you know those guys. Right. So I would have joined, but I've got mm, flat feet, mm, you know, I've mm, got this, that. I couldn't pass a drug test or this or that. Right. Or what, no, dude, oh, you, you just, just didn't, didn't want to do it, <laughs> you know? So that, that, like, I guess my experience was different because I came in at like 04 or 03, rather. The war was underway, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like this, being from Alabama, it was like this patriotic thing to do. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the, like the climate changing after 9-11 of like people's opinions of joining? Oh, Definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Became a more common thing, you think? Yes, yes. We did get kind of an influx of people who just wanted to s- sign, you know. But their hearts were in the right place, so, you know, nobody mind, minded sure. or whatnot. So. What'd your mom think when you told her you joined? I really don't know. Um, she was proud but scared. Typical you know, mom I was reaction. always like a mama's boy, right? So I don't necessarily think she, I, I don't think she thought I was tough enough. Sure. But there's a weird thing in my family where you never know what anybody's really thinking. We're very good at just hiding it. Mm-hmm. But she seemed proud. She she flew down to Georgia when I when I graduated from, from basic training. Yeah, Fort Benning. Yeah, to a degree, it was an out for you. It was you you didn't really know what you wanted to do. You didn't have the prospects necessarily. I wanted to do more, and I wanted a ladder to do more. Right. Yeah. And it was the clearest ladder. It wasn't like oh well, I just can't do anything else in the world. It's like no, there are things that I want in my life, and okay, well, I could do I could plan A, plan B, plan C. I kind of think this plan suits me better. So for me, dude, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, like it yeah. was literally in out. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to get away from Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, okay, I could go to school. My parents didn't want me to go off to school. So mm -hmm. it's like, all right, well, mm -hmm. that's no longer an option because I can't just do this on my own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. School's pretty expensive these days. Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. the army was things like, okay, I wasn't trying to, you know, I wasn't abused. I wasn't, no, yeah, I didn't yeah, have a yeah. bad life. And I'm not but saying I hated it was not that like place, that. So I wanted to get, but for you, I mean, you love Detroit, right? Yes, but I hate the situation Detroit is in. So you were hoping you, you'd go off and by the time you got back, maybe things would be a little better. No, I go off, I travel a bit, have some fun, get money for college, do this, do that, get some experiences and come on home. How did that work out? The army's like a drug. <laughs> it's worse than crack, dude. Um, not that I know what crack is like. <laughs> but, Allegedly. But, uh, but no, it's, it's, I joined in 2000. My first deployment was 2003-2004. Um, my re-enlistment window came up while I was in Iraq, in Iraq and I re-enlisted. Like a dummy, like we yep. all did. Tax-free bonus, baby. Re-enlisted to go to Fort Drum, New York, because I looked at a map and it's like, hey, if I come through Canada, it's literally six hours from home. Right. Um, if, I, if anybody had warned me about the girls in Watertown, though, I might have reconsidered. <laughs> but, You're using the word girl rather liberally. But um, was with you for drum. We deployed. Right when I got back from, from that deployment to Afghanistan, I re-enlisted again to go to Fort Eustis, which was a mistake, a true mistake, going to TRADOC. Seriously, if I wasn't medically retired, I would still be there. You liked it? You enjoyed it? Well, everything except TRADOC and the water buffalo. <laughs> If it had been your first duty assignment, do you think you would have felt differently? No, about I wouldn't it? have known any better. Right. So you, you, you would have been mm -hmm. you'd be like, oh, I could deal with this. Yeah. Not so I bad. just wouldn't have known any better. Because there's a huge, and like we've all talked about it, there's a huge disconnect from being a deployed soldier than being a garrison soldier. Yeah. yeah. Being a garrison soldier is probably got to be the most miserable thing I could even imagine. It's all about are your boots shine? Mm -hmm. Is your uniform pressed? Well, I mean, not even, even more. Yeah, because they don't even make they don't them even shine their boots. Do that or, or, stuff. Yeah. So they have to find other stupid bullshit. Because when you don't have to shine boots, your velcro's out. Your your whatever. Right. You know. Right. Before it's like, oh, that guy's a shit bag. His boots aren't shining. Mm -hmm. Now no one shines boots, so they're they got to find a reason. I, it sounds very like hippie-ish, man. But they got to find a reason to hassle you. you yeah, know what I mean? yeah. They can't just. They leave always got to bring you down, man. Right. Like the man has always. Mm -hmm. He's like, I see you on your high horse. I'm gonna take you down a notch. Yeah. Yeah. So since you were separated from Eustace probably a little less painful now if had you been a drum it would have been much more difficult to separate you know yeah, what I, mean? I don't think i would have like yeah that wouldn't have been you would have fought harder to stay in had you been at drum yes yes that's fair place it's home like i, I ended up doing a, a deployment after i left drum but i'd much rather going back with you absolutely you know what i'm saying I, yeah with yeah. one three two oh, and, yeah. and and just yeah like our second tour i mean it just was a different group of guys and they weren't bad guys man i love a lot of those guys yeah a lot of them i'm really close with but mm -hmm. it was there's something to be said for the first deployment being like 19, 20 years yeah, old. Yeah. You're particularly with us because we all showed up to that unit. We all came within a month of each other. Yeah. And the unit didn't have a supply room. It mm -hmm. didn't have a motor pool. It didn't have a, the first one didn't even have an office. He had like, he had a clipboard that he had to carry around everywhere in a backpack. How many guys in that unit besides me had a, had a combat patch? Um, I mean, I'm talking like the NCOs or whatever, like first sergeant. Yeah. Well, obviously, you, obviously first sergeant. First Sergeant you and Larry Kroll. Remember that guy? Yeah, Sergeant Kroll? I do, I think, yeah. That dude, yeah. that dude had a combat. He was cool. Now, later, we got a couple of V6s. Sergeant Bigelow. Yeah, yeah that had combat <laughs> patches, but I don't know. His was from Vietnam. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, was, it was from the intervention in Korea. Yeah, he's an E5, and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, <laughs> I thought he was a reservist. He's like 90 years old. Yeah, but it was mm -hmm. a weird, I don't know. It was a, I hate even saying this. Because, like, I love my life right now. Yeah. 
but it's hard to not say it's hard to say that those weren't the best days of my life does that make sense i get the conflict i liken it to the idea that you know i was married and it ended badly and i could say well you know a lot of the problems that i've encountered in my life since then or whatever could have been avoided if i'd gone back and 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 just you know, never done that, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade any of it for my daughter, right? Right, right. So I, that, that's, I liken it to that. That's right. And it's the weird thing, right? Like, so I don't believe in fate or a master plan or any of that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. right? But it sure as shit sometimes sort of feels like one false step somewhere, anywhere along the way. Like, there mm-hmm. were probably a hundred incidents where if I had taken a left instead of a right, mm-hmm. We wouldn't be in this room right now. Yeah, I feel the same way. Which is crazy. I feel the same way. Now, I think that, like, we're a part of that 1% or less than 1% who've been in situations where, like, yeah, that one false move can kill us. Sure. But I kind of think that's true for a lot of people, you know? Even if just from the aspect of, like, employment, Mm -hmm. there's lots of dangerous jobs out there. Mm -hmm. Prior to 2001, military wasn't that dangerous of a job. No, no. It was way worse to log trees or be a firefighter it was the most dangerous thing i did i think i went to ntc four times in one year sounds awful that was it and the rest was just partying until 9 11 and then it's like fun's over boys <laughs> yeah that's when the fun really started but that's a whole nother story <laughs> so let's talk about and it doesn't have to be in this order i want to talk about how your life has been impacted by joining the military positively or negatively mm-hmm. it's obviously going to be some combination mm-hmm. of the two mm-hmm specifically the experience of being a black veteran the dudes on the rooftops with guns that day yeah the leo anchorman story <laughs> okay okay and dude look i know it's a little embarrassing but it's funny as shit mm. uh, they're behind us <laughs> <laughs> i do want to talk about oh, that was, one. okay okay so let's let's, let's just let's, jump into that one let's start okay let's start with they're behind us okay so this is october of 2006 we have been in afghanistan for Six months. Yeah. <laughs> Six months and nary a firefight yet. No. Um, the one close call, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so six months and we're just, we're kind of just like, shit, <laughs> is this ever going to happen? Like, Yeah. I think some of us like wanted it just to get the cab and other ones were like, let's just chill out and continue doing what we're doing. But I, you know. But like we, I think we all felt like well, okay, it's gonna happen at some point, yeah, right? It like has it's, to, right? It's, and we've been here for five months. We're, like, we're up and down the road. We're doing these resupply convoys up, up, up Kunar, up to Pesh. <laughs> you know, sending detachments down into in, into Korangal like two or three times a week. It's gotta happen. And then it does. <laughs> and then we're on our way back from Blessing to Asadabad. So, so I was in the lead truck. I was the lead this gunner. This is the, one of the few times I wasn't the gunner in the lead truck. And I hate being in anything except the lead truck because it's all the dust and, right. you know. This was I was the, in the rear truck. I was in, this yeah. was like the only time you were in the rear. You've yeah. been in the middle a few times. Mm-hmm. This is the only mm-hmm. time you were in the rear. Yeah. I was in the lead truck. Did you have a 240? Yes. Okay. Yes. I had a 50. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of Mark 19s, another mm-hmm. 50. We kept and them then, in the middle on the, on the um, five tons. Yeah. And then you had the 240. And so we're driving and then we hear machine gun fire. And it's just kind of like, not paralysis at all, but there's like this split second of, is this what happening? the fuck is yeah. that? And, and then it's like, like oh, rockets shit. make a weird noise when there's it's like a, a very weird. It is a very um, unsettling noise yeah. now, but it, yeah. It's now I've un- got my back turned all this. I don't see any of it. Right. It's, <laughs> it's unrecognizable sound the first time you hear it. But we knew what the machine guns was. And then there's that split second of, what the fuck is this? And then it's like, oh my God. Oh, contact left. That's what this mm-hmm. is. This is contact. Yep. I call it contact left. See muzzle flashes. I 
Chamber of the Fifty, and then we go at it. I think Lipscomb is on. He's on. He, he had a he's on one of the Mark, uh, Mark nineteen. He he was the one that lit up the ridge line. I turn around. I never saw him. I just saw where the fire was going, and I'm like, apparently this is what we're doing, right? <laughs> so. Right. So the RPGs are hitting. There's probably like fifteen to twenty meters between each of our vehicles. The RPGs are hitting the ground between the vehicles and then bouncing uh, across the river and impacting on the mountain. And these are five tons that are carrying. Were they, were they still one five five? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Rounds for people that aren't aware that it's the the largest artillery round uh, that we had at the time, plus all of the fuses and the powders used in propelling those rounds. Could have gone Um, terribly, terribly. It would have been a very bad day had the RPG hit those powders or those fuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're talking like a mass cas incident. So. And Nick, Sergeant Nick was with us on that one. Okay, was he? Yeah, because he dismounted for some reason. Oh. He dismounted. I think he was going. No, because Felder was in the lead truck, right? With me, And you yeah. guys boogied, and then we were like kind of, for some reason, we ended up slightly separated before we rolled out. Yeah, but but it was like by like 50 meters. It wasn't like. No, I think it was around, like up around a curve. Like, like y'all went. And it was like one of the trucks uh, in the middle what, was like, yeah, they fell it was behind. only for like a minute or two. Right, they fell behind. You know, it, it was only for like a minute or two, but we were, you know, yeah. Right. And Felder had to go up, go up the road and he stopped and, you know, you guys waited for us to catch up. So the, the whole incident lasts maybe, I don't know, like three, four minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, well. That happened. Yeah, that happened. That's, <laughs> that was weird. Keep moving. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell it from now. Oh, hold on. Let me just, okay. let me set it up. <laughs> so we had been there for five months. We were just like, when, when are we going to make contact? When are we going to get our first firefight? When's it coming? When's it coming? And then it came in October of 2006. Came at about 10 in the morning. And then about 10.13 that morning, <laughs> <laughs> we drive around a bend, maybe a quarter mile up the road from the position. And then what happened, Bruder? So I'm in the gun, the rear vehicle. And yeah, a quarter of a mile might not sound like a lot of distance, but this is the Pesh River Road, so you're going like three miles an hour. So I, I was like chain smoke. And I had like, like I'm, I was... <laughs> That's the highest I've ever been in my entire life, right? Up until that point. Like, oh my God, this just happened. And then, brrrah, from across the river. A couple of pop shots mm-hmm. from an AK. And I'm a radio guy. I'm the guy who's <laughs> supposed to be calm on the radio and, and calling and casting stuff. And all I can do is, they're behind us. <laughs> That's all I can do. They're yeah. behind us. And they weren't. They weren't behind us. <laughs> well, they were behind. Yeah, okay. They were, they were at like, I don't know, shit, like our, our four o'clock maybe. <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> They were they were slightly across mm, from us, mm. but it was just the one guy. <laughs> but it was funny that you used it in the plural as if those guys were chasing us down. Dude, I was still like very amped up. Like, what did I know? I'm still trying to calm down, you know? Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, I remember we got to Asadabad, and like as soon as we got there, there was a fire mission, and the 155 started rocking, and like I think pretty much every single one of us, because we had just gotten out of the trucks, yeah. and the 155s go, and I think almost all of us nearly shit our pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The second like, it happened, it's like, ooh, I'm a bit gun shy now. Mm, like, this is, this is going to be a long day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, shit. Uh, I, hope this, I hope this wears off a bit. Mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope it gets easier, and it does. Yeah, it does. So let's backtrack. So that was our first incident, if you will. But I think we want to talk about the near incident. The time we almost ended the American involvement in Afghanistan. The time we nearly were, we nearly were asked to leave Afghanistan or told or maybe we weren't allowed to leave. Maybe we would mm, just go to Afghan, Afghan prisons. prisons. Yeah. <laughs> so you, oh, do you want to, you want to, you can tell this one. So I have to, I have to backtrack the whole story. What we did was we resupplied 
blind companies that were in Asadabad and along the Pesh River Valley and in the Korangal. We'd leave out of Jalalabad, drive to Asadabad, usually spend the night there. The next morning, we would, well, no, no, we would go all the way up to Blessing. We'd go all the way up. Yeah. Take about eight hours mm-hmm. to get from Jalalabad. Yeah, we'd go Jalalabad all the way up to Blessing. Right. Right. We'd spend a night at Blessing, turn around, go all the way back down. But we'd always stop. Asadabad was kind of our middle point. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, where it's, the, it's where the paved road ends. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so three it was quarters of the way ball, physically, mm, but, but it's it all was, hardball. Right. So distance you know, yeah. or time wise, it was about halfway. Mm-hmm. It's about 13 hours, 12, 13 hour trip, somewhere around that. I mean, it was long. It was not. We got pretty good at it. The route, the roads got better. The roads got better. Those Over first time. few times before mm-hmm. anything really, particularly on the, like before anything, before they even wrote, widened the roads. Yeah. Those were, mm-hmm. that was Scary a, that days. was a, that was a full like mm-hmm. 16 hour day both yeah. ways. Yeah. In any case, uh, so we're, we, we come out of Blessing, go down to Pesh River Road, get to Asadabad. I'm gunning the lead truck. Well, there's a guy in the middle of the road. He's got a radio in his hand, and he's directing traffic. First Sergeant, First Sergeant Gimble. Just doesn't feel right about the situation. I, 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 I sensed it, too. It felt a little too ambushy to me, right? But he, he keeps us calm. He gets out of the car, goes and starts talking to the guy. I look up. There are armed men on the rooftops lining the street. And when we say armed men, we just mean uh, normal-looking Afghan dude wearing normal Afghan with a rifle. Yep. And they're looking at us. And I look back and all the gunners are trained on somebody. Right. But I, I think there were, well, I don't know. Were there more of us than them? Or There was a fucking bunch of them, it seemed yeah. like, man. It seemed like there was, so there were several buildings. Mm-hmm. I felt like the one that I was looking at, they had like five dudes just on that one roof. Yeah. And they all looked very... Um, Angry. <laughs> yeah, like, because we, I mean... We pointed all the crew serve guns at them. Yeah, yeah. Mark 19s, 50 cal, the 240s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're, we're gonna point at them. And I was locked and loaded at the point already. I was, yeah. But I I know someone, because I remember someone cracked or like, they racked it. Yeah. I think it was the Mark 19. Yeah, oh, you can hear that. You you can can hear hear that, like. Because it was eerily quiet. Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Which was also. You talk about about pinching your, your ass cheeks together. Yeah, that was a pucker moment. Yeah, and it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, I told you before, like, I don't think. I don't think some of the gunner, gunners would have made it. They got a couple of us, for sure. Mm-hmm. Bad day it, all, all around. around. Now, come to find out, after the tensest, like, five minutes of my entire life, our first sergeant discovers that these are basically, essentially, President Karzai's secret service. <laughs> he came to town. He's there. And thank God for everybody's discipline. You would think they would at least have the common courtesy... To tell us? To maybe give the 19-year-old kids rolling through town you with know? machine guns the heads up, like, hey... Don't shoot these guys. Yeah. That's going to be bad. And it nearly was. I think we had already gotten decently seasoned by that time because I could see like just some dumb 19. Like we all yeah. just held our fire. Like we weren't going to do like we would all look at first sergeant, right? We aren't doing anything unless. Well, and I and remember. Maybe that's a, a, a credit to his leadership and our respect for him. We don't do anything unless. Right. right. But I do remember like him going up to talk to that guy mm-hmm. and then. Like he's talking to the guy, Juarez is with him, mm-hmm. Juarez is translating, and mm-hmm. then there's the moment when it clicks, and he's like, oh, 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 oh I know what it is. And he just comes hauling ass back to the trucks to mm-hmm. tell us before yeah. we start yeah. shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Do not shoot those men. <laughs> like, oh, I'm glad you warned me, because I was about to shoot those men. <laughs> but I imagine what a firefight between, like, uh, the Afghani Secret Service and... Eight machine guns. ...would look like, and how the press would spin it. A bunch of kill-crazy GIs. Just- I told you, man, like, I... <laughs> I'd start snitching. Everybody. I'd be like, they told me to fire. Like, uh, yep, yep. I'd uh, I'd roll over, man. I don't think I'd do well in Afghan prison. Nope, nope. It seems like it's 
it seems like it's probably a shade worse than like Mexican prison. Yeah, I don't know if there's a. And those seem pretty intense. Yeah. So, <laughs> what kind of impact has being in the army had on your life? It's an all-encompassing thing. It's it's. I wasn't in the army. I'm a soldier, and it uh, affects my worldview in a way that I think a lot of civilians don't get. It affects every part of my life, from some of the old habits that I have that people don't get. We were talking earlier about feeling weird about walking on grass. Right. Um, from just the way I see the world, um, the way I see foreign policy, the way I see politics, the way I see everything. It's not something that, it's, it's not some job I had. It is not something that it is fully a part of my identity. So, so let's talk about the experience of like being, a, being an African-American veteran. Well, that's a tough one. Um, I think that our generation of vets are kind of pushed to the outsides of society, not so much as the Vietnam generation, but still enough that it, it's noticeable, right? Elaborate a little bit, like how so, or in what sense? The opportunities aren't here for us. Uh, people are kind of uh, afraid of us. Everybody's like, well, you know, I would have joined the army, but, so no one respects the service. Uh, nobody sees the bigger picture. Like the, the World War II generation, it's like everybody went. So everyone had a shared experience. There was shared sacrifice, you know. Now, there are people who go out and, and, and literally sign away pieces of their mind, bodies, and souls to, to create the blanket of freedom that everyone else lives under, and no one gives a damn. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I want civilians to walk around and kiss my ass or anything. Sure. It's just that in this generation, military service, it's, it's not even a net, it's not even even, right? It's a... a it's a drawback. Yeah. So our grandparents go fight the Nazis, go mm -hmm. fight the Japanese, and they're the greatest generation. Yeah. Right. And I'm not even going dis to disagree that point. Right. Like those guys, the guys that stormed Normandy, man, the guys that island hop in Pacific, mm -hmm. particularly the guys stormed Normandy, saved the world. I don't know. You I'm read concerned. some of that sledge and the old breed, man. That, that island hopping stuff wasn't fun either. Oh no! I mean, I'm not trying to. No, yeah, no. <laughs> it, was, any, 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 it was arguably. I, I think the fighting <laughs> like was arguably better or whatever. Worse there. I'm just saying that, like. Yeah, I just mean in the sense of I think that the Germans in the moment were much bigger threat globally. Mm -hmm. The Japanese wanted to prove a point to a degree. Yeah. Like there was there were policies in place that were American policies, economically harmful to Japan. Yeah. They wanted to, in their minds, set the record straight on this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There was no illusion. Well, they picked about the wrong one, didn't they? <laughs> America. <laughs> What's your thoughts on the relatively large percentage of black vets in World War II that like stayed in France? Because why would come, you come back to Alabama right, or right. Mississippi or Georgia right, or like Texas they were treated or Louisiana? Very well by the French. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Treated like normal human that? beings, right? Like that's a we don't talk about it. Yeah, very yeah. much at yeah. all. But I mean, it was quite a few mm -hmm. guys were mm -hmm. just like, I'm not getting on that boat. Like there's... There, even over the what? years, um, you know, from from the Vietnam generation on, I mean, there's like a, there's a, there's a decent sized expat community in Germany. Oh yeah. And I can see where they're coming from. Sure. No danger of that happening in Iraq or Afghanistan. No, no. Maybe uh, uh, Dubai? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kuwait? Nah, not Kuwait. Kuwait's hot. So when... You see, like, Black Lives Matter. You mm -hmm. see the protest. You see people being shot by police. Is there any disconnect there? Like, or is it hard to reconcile what you see with the thought or the idea that, like, we were defending freedoms? Let's just first start with the uh, police violence, right? 
that's almost impossible to, to, to reconcile. Unfortunately for the mass media and, and, you know, a lot of white people, like they're getting a glimpse of the reality of being black in America when the mainstream media sees fit to push certain stories. But these are things that are happening constantly. You know, the idea that I literally signed away, again, as I said before, my life, my soul, and my body to defend the idea of America is insulting, and it's, it's very hard to reconcile. Uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, it's, it's something that needs to happen. I am slightly perturbed that there's no real leadership or policy agenda being in the streets and marching and that's and bringing attention to something and that that's all fine and dandy right but the thing that i love most about about america is its capacity to change its capacity to change for the better we are the greatest nation that's ever been because we can be better right but we're not better for complaining we're better for people getting together and saying okay well we need to implement this policy we need to do that you know what these congressmen aren't on board, we need to mobilize and get them defeated in primaries or get them defeated in general elections. We need to replace them. We need to do this. We, you know, like without an actual agenda, these movements fade away into nothingness. Violence only delegitimizes a movement, right? Right. But maybe we, we all need to step back and, and, and think about how we got here. You know, all, all black lives matter and all black people are saying is like, dude, stop killing us. And I, I want to be that. I don't know if anybody's made this clear to a lot of people who might end up listening to this. But the fact is, is that, yes, there is a black and white problem. But the bigger problem is there is a police problem in America. We are in a police state. OK, now black and brown people are affected at a higher rate than white. But pol- policing in America is out of control. They're killing unarmed white people, too. They are trampling on people's rights, as, you know, white people's rights as well. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Rules of engagement. Rules of engagement. You shoot an armed mm-hmm. civilian, mm-hmm. you're going to Leavenworth. Yeah. It's not going to be... Oh, I was afraid? Yeah, I, I felt mm-hmm. maybe they were going to do something, mm-hmm. so I shot first. W- was never an acceptable... No, no. That was... Oh, see that guy walking over there with a mortar too? Well, we can't do anything until he actually fires. Right. And then once he stops firing puts his weapon down we can't yeah he's no longer a combatant mm-hmm. right like there's very there's very so maybe that's the thing you know there's very clear rules in the military mm-hmm. very clear rules and these in police in america are cowboys you're going to law school now yes yes came came back to detroit finished my undergraduate at wayne state university and now i'm uh, i'm attending law school what type of lawyer you want to be i don't know just a good one right yeah you don't particularly have any aspirations to be a da necessarily anything like that just Kind I of would like figure it out. to. I would actually like to work for justice. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to be a, an assistant U, U.S. attorney. So you're in your second year of law school. Yes. Still in Detroit. So you're medically retired. Mm-hmm. After how many years had you been at that point? I did ten years. Ten years. Ten mm-hmm. years. You're medically retired. Mm-hmm. You have you know a small case of PTSD. Yeah, mild. So how does it affect your day to day life if it does? I'm not the most social person. I mean, I can go out and I can hang out, but I don't really like crowds. And if I don't know you, I don't know you. You know, the dreams come and go. They've gotten less severe over the years, uh, more manageable. No thanks to anything the VA's done. They ain't done a damn thing for anybody. But <laughs> How much work have you missed or school because of your symptoms? You know, as a matter of fact, I had trouble in school because the VA was just tossing antidepressants at me. 
it was like a year and a half there when I was kind of out of it because of what they were doing. And it wasn't until I just stopped taking them. They were medicating a problem that they were creating. Yeah. In, to a sense. Exactly. A sense. And once you cut the meds, mm-hmm. like you just, it was so much easier. Like I would to, rather have bad dreams than be a zombie. zombie. Right. It's a very common story of anything, not even just PTSD, any, anything remotely behaviorally health related. Yeah, let's related. just toss a bunch of it's psychotropic drugs and see how it works. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, this isn't about knocking the VA. This isn't about any no, of that. I, this I, is I, about. I apologize. No, 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 no. I'm not saying, I just mean like, it's a little medication heavy, pretty light on therapy. It seems like. Pretty light on helping the reintegration of people in the society. I would agree with that. You know, when you redeploy, the reverse SRC process, mm-hmm. which for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's when you come in and you basically reverse the process of everything you had to do before you went overseas. You had to update your shot records, mm-hmm. you know, have your teeth looked at, uh, make sure your life insurance paperwork is in order, mm-hmm. all Will, the paperwork you every powers could imagine, powers of attorneys. Mm-hmm. And then one of the steps you go, I don't even know if this person was a doctor, a nurse. Hell, I don't know if they had any sort of training in... It was just a guy at a desk. He had a little worksheet there. And he's like, have you any feelings of wanting to harm someone else or yourself? And it's a weird question. Yeah, because right? it's, like, it's like, dude, well, there's a whole I, bunch of guys back in a pesh that I really want to kill. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, like the, the only thing I've really was supposed to even supposed to even think about last few months was about harming other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't know. But like, if you're asking Am I a threat to myself and my family? Like, no, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a weird question, Mm -hmm. man. Um, And then it kind of, it's it's such a weird question. It puts you a bit on edge. So you just, you kind of get defensive about the rest of it because they're not, they're not very delicately phrased either. It just, they all make you sound like a psychopath. So everyone, none of, did you ever know anyone that said yes to any of those questions? No. No, they're only doing it because they're sick of, Checking, they want to check the block. Yeah, they got to right? check the block because somebody's going to come home and beat his wife or, or, or what, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's right. going to come home and, and this way they can find, say, find his wife was cheating and kill her or whatever. But no, we checked. We checked this box. Right. Well, you didn't do anything we about inquired. it. You just asked a question that nobody's going to answer truthfully. Right. It's weird. So reintegration, right? So you, we come back. We're gone for the two days with our families. It's a wonderful time. Then you come back and then we're there for like a month. We're a month back on duty and we come in and we do the normal army garrison thing, which really sucks after being yeah. downrange. And then we go on like 30 PT, days really. of block leave. And that was weird, man, because you go on those 30 days and let's be real, man, that, that first tour, that was 15 months, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I loved you guys. I didn't want to see your goddamn faces <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see them. I wanted to go be a civilian for a while. Yeah. Live the good life. But it was weird how that started to, the veneers came off of that real quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like by week three of being on a month yeah, leave. Like, where are my fucking people? Like, like, yeah, I, mean, I want to. I need to see my boys, man. Mm-hmm. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is a pointless existence almost. Yeah. But then when you get out, you don't have that look to look forward. To. You don't have the yeah. There's oh, no like, going back. I'm it's gonna all go gone, back, man. It's right. All gone. Not only are you out, but everyone else is either out or, or they're BCS somewhere else. different. They're in mm-hmm. Germany mm-hmm. or Korea mm-hmm. or the other side of the country in Washington or yep. Hawaii. I mean, as much as we all want it desperately bad, well, we've all accepted that we will never all be in a room again. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. fucking depressing, man. I thought that maybe once we're all older, maybe once um, Congress decides to give GWAT its memorial, maybe enough of us can get together in Washington. Yeah, I mean, that'd be cool, right? But but that's years off. Years off. But that's And that's even like maybe enough of us. Yeah, a lot Who of people knows? aren't going to want to come. Might not be able to. We don't treat ourselves that well, no, man. No, no. Between cigarettes, the food, the booze, the drugs, whatever... We're not setting our bodies up to have a good long run. Isn't being a soldier synonymous with self-abuse? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's depressing, man. Yeah, it is. But what are you going to do? You know? You know, you were talking about going back. And yeah, maybe maybe a bunch of us will never be in the same room again. I'm hoping for over the next like 10 or 15 years of drastic change in geopolitics. I'm hoping for a time when I can go back to Afghanistan as a civilian, when it's when it's stable. A la Vietnam. And safe, exactly. The way the Vietnam guys can do now. Let I'd me like ask you this though. Pesh, you know? Do you actually, do you in your heart, do you feel like you believe that's going to happen? I have to have hope, right? Let's consider the infrastructure differences between those two. You know what I mean? I mean, there's lots of similarities. Let's talk about sewage disposal. Let's talk yeah. about, you know, indoor plumbing, water, mm -hmm. electricity. I think I could count on one hand the number of houses we ever drove by that had electricity. Yeah. Like, these enough. are mud huts, man. I'm not saying, look, I am hopeful. God, I hope so. Because it, that was a beautiful country with beautiful people. I don't need it to be first world i just needed to be not stable. crawling with isis yeah no, I, I hear you, <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I hear you <laughs> you know what's kind of sad man do you ever go back do you ever look at pictures of like kabul in 1970 oh yeah the girls Dude. are not even wearing hijabs they're no just, man they're so in, liberal they're, in they're jeans. just hanging out you know and even there's pictures of bin laden on family vacations in the 70s that he's rocking he's he's wearing exactly what shaggy from scooby-doo had on, like <laughs> a green turtleneck <laughs> and some bell bottoms i think iraq there's a better shot you know, Iraq's got roads, man. They have schools. Mm -hmm. They have, what was it? Before 2000, Iraqi dinar was stronger than the dollar, right? And it was like weird. Like, I didn't, th I mean, I thought about it in like an academic sense. Like I knew all these things, but then you get back and I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, we were in Afghanistan. We were the latest of many empires to die in, in Afghanistan. that pass. <laughs> right. And I think maybe that that's people question, like, did we win that war? Did we lose that war? I would argue that we left there. We came there. We fought there. We left there still a superpower that's yeah, kind of a win that is, right that's when you when you're talking about afghanistan and the grand sweep of history that is a win usually afghanistan breaks you exactly <laughs> like you're a la russia as a they, la, yeah as the afghans mm. say you are finished <laughs> yeah finished mm. no good finished mm. yes yeah. usually you go in it one way a, you don't come out with for, your shirt it was definitely for britain too mm -hmm. yeah. it was the last hurrah <laughs> one guy they let live to go back and tell the others of what he's seen so yeah i guess so yeah i mean that's a i, I guess you do have to that's a net positive yeah, chalk it up as we a victory made it. yeah lee thanks so much for being with us today it was awesome to see you get to talk get to catch up after nine years yeah it's been a good time thanks it's been a man. great time thanks for coming out and thanks for having me on absolutely well, hope to have you on again man climb to glory <laughs> chosen <laughs> chosen Thanks for joining us on Longest War, the podcast of BBC's post 9-11 Veterans Storytelling Project. To learn more about our project and the Veterans Breakfast Club, sign up for our newsletter, and to get a schedule of storytelling events throughout Western Pennsylvania, visit us at veteransbreakfastclub.com. And be sure to join us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. I'm Nick Grimes. See you next time. How can this world be so unkind? Longest War Podcast is a member of the Social Voice Podcast Network, a nonprofit project of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative.